Well, welcome to Advent for Sunday of Advent. Um, I love Advent. Um, uh, I think it was Fauci or someone who lives on the planet Earth of facts told us to be ready for a long, dark winter ahead. And, uh, you know, probably like like me, when you heard that, you already knew it, um, but it evoked a sense of dread. Um, I don't think I've had like a sense of dread going into the wintertime like I've had this year. And, you know, entering any like season with dread um, or only dread or predominantly dread, that's a bummer. <laughs> and spiritually, there has to be a way through this. Any spirituality that's worth anything has to be able to help us in a time like this. So enter, enter Advent, the season of Advent, which is a, a set of spiritual practices and a, and a spiritual understanding of time. It's actually an alternative, part of an alternative understanding of time. And uh, practicing Advent, you know, uh, maybe it doesn't erase the dread entirely, but, but it can add a layer of hope or it can mute or lighten the, the dread load, so to speak. Um, spiritual practices, they're, they're not like, you can't approach them like any one practice is instantaneous in, a, in its effects. It's not a panacea. Um, it may not replace anti-anxiety medication, all that, but a spiritual practice is a, it's a series of nudges toward growth. So, you know, tending our soul is like tending a plant. So you, there's a set of things that you do on a recurring basis, and it's the recurringness that, that makes it work. You know, watering a plant once is great once, but has to be over and over. And, you, you know, it's, it's a set of things. You notice how the plant is doing. You pay attention to the plant. You appreciate the plant. You try to be kind to the plant. Try to be kind to your soul. Uh, you desire its well-being. Uh, you water it periodically, you move it into the sunlight, whatever the little tag says, direct sunlight, indirect sunlight, shade. Um, you might add some plant food now and again. You might ask around for advice on how to care for this plant. It's just a series of nudges over time. And it's the same way with uh, spiritual practices in our, in our soul. So Advent is, uh, as we mentioned, it's the four weeks before Christmas. Um, it's usually celebrated in more liturgical churches like Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, and it's something we've adopted here at uh, Blue Ocean as well. It's about um, spiritually, it's about entering a, a time of a spiritual nighttime. So, uh, you know, it comes at the beginning of winter. Uh, our lives all began in the nighttime darkness of a mother's womb. And so this holy or more positive view of darkness is fundamental to the Jewish uh, conception of time, actually. So in, in our uh, common view, the day begins at sunrise. You know, we go to sleep and some hours later, it's a new day. Um, but in Jewish time, the new day begins with sunset. So this is in the first poem that introduces time in Genesis 1. Time is God's way of keeping everything from happening at once. And there's a refrain in that poem. It goes, it was evening, it was morning, the first day. And then it was evening, it was morning, the second day. And uh, you see the day begins with the evening, with sunset. 
Um, so this Jewish celebration of, um, of Sabbath begins on Saturday night because that's the beginning of the seventh day in the Jewish understanding of time. Um, so the onset of darkness is like an inflection point in time when we let go of the day gone by, but we enter a new day simultaneously, a day that's already begun. So this, this same pattern marks the um, alternate reckoning of the year uh, that's called sometimes the liturgical year or the church calendar, um, you know, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, it's all part of the church calendar. Um, in Judaism, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year, and that begins in the fall, not in January. It, um, the first uh, Sunday of Advent uh, begins a new year in the church calendar. So today is our happy New Year day. Um, so the new day, the new year begins in darkness. And darkness is a holy thing. It's blessed of God. So Advent means um, coming or uh, appearing is another word for Advent. Uh, and nighttime is like a preparation for a divine appearing, appearings in scripture. So those who walked in darkness have seen a great light, says the prophet Isaiah. So I, I underwent a kind of a baptism into the spiritual meaning of Advent about six years ago. Um, the Sunday before Advent, so last Sunday that year in 2014, was my last Sunday at a church that I had served for uh, 39 years. So it was in that early time of transition and loss where, you know, the, the loss is like on you, it's on your body, but you haven't yet um, reckoned with it. You haven't felt it even, let alone expressed or, you know, processed it. Um, the pandemic has brought um, us many different um, losses, if only like a, a loss of a sense of safety. Um, I think especially of younger people losing precious in-person time with their friends or missing school athletics, or missing dance recitals, or practicing uh, with the band. I mean, those are precious years, like high school, four, you know, three or four precious years. And, and it's just like one is, is out the window here, and that's a loss. Um, many other losses, of course. And many of us, I think, are feeling the weight of, like, as yet, unmetabolized grief. We're, we're still in the middle of it. We're putting our energy into coping with it, not, um, you know, tending to the emotions of it, maybe. And often we only process the emotions of stress, you know, the chemicals of the fear, fight, and flight response uh, released in our body after the occasion of the stress is completed, after the stressor itself is gone. So, on this first Sunday of Advent that year, I'm back in 2014, and I, on the, the first Advent, my first Sunday without being pastor of a church, like over four decades, I went to church with my new spouse, Julia, who it happened to be her first Sunday as a priest in her new parish in Farmington Hills. So it was, it was really weird being a pastor between churches for the first time in a long time. Um, I'm in a new role as a clergy spouse, and then I'm, I'm proud and excited for, for Julia. Um, she's excited um, about the new church, 
and and I'm back in a tradition that I grew up in the the Episcopal Church, and it's just it's just north of Detroit, northwest Detroit area where where I grew up, and I had left that tradition as a disillusioned young teenager, and so I had such a mixture of feelings wrapped in numbness that Sunday. It was it was as very it was very different. Um, Blue Ocean, this church I now love, uh, was as yet at that moment an unrealized hope. I think we had a, maybe our first or second organiz organizational meeting that night, actually, for putting Blue Ocean together. But everything was very iffy. So emotionally, I was living in the land of iffy. Iggy Pop, <laughs> iffy hope. I was in the iffy hope state. Um, so I was in a spiritual nighttime, and it was Advent. Um, so six years later, it's actually quite hard for me to access the anxious uncertainty of that time. Um, now the memories that linger are of a holy time, a blessed time, you know, swaddled in darkness, um, in the uncertainty that is the, the petri dish of hope, you might say. So I want to suggest that if you're new to Advent practices, that you playfully explore, um, experiment with uh, small ways of observing Advent, this Advent. Maybe you try out an Advent wreath, um, um, try light, lighting the candles each night before dinner or once a week on Saturday night or whatever works for you. Susan Schaefer, our own Susan Schaefer, made our kid-friendly Christmas bingo, which is really like an Advent uh, calendar. So I, I think you know, you're really lucky to be part of Blue Ocean because I don't think there's any other church on the planet, probably, that celebrates Christmas bingo. So this is going to be awesome. It's a if you've done Christmas uh, Advent calendars, it's like that. There's a thing you can do every day, a little suggestion, act of kindness or whatever. It's uh, good to do with the kids. Put it on the refrigerator, blah, blah, blah. So Emily has prepared this uh podcast. I think the Advent podcasts are part of the, they're the daily prayer podcasts. I think they're about five to seven minutes each day. And, you know, it's a guided meditation. You listen to the podcast. There's a written version. Um, it includes some prayers and uh, readings from our Advent book that Carla mentioned. Um, and uh, it's, uh, that's something you could do as an Advent practice. Um, uh, Julia and I host uh, Compline, which means night prayers on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. We usually do it on Facebook Live for Advent. We're going to add a Zoom um, a way of accessing the night prayers. Actually, Paul and um, Diane Sonda are going to be the Zoom hosts for the nighttime prayers on Wednesday at 9 p.m. I believe the link was sent in your Sunday email, so if you... Uh, uh, aren't sure about it, just send me an email and I'll send you the link. And um, Diane and Paul will be hosting the Zoom part of it. And then Julia and I will be casting the the prayers. So it's kind of like if you if you went to a retreat center and there were like some monks at the retreat center, you might go and sit in on the on the prayers that they're they're doing. It's the same uh, same kind of vibe for the Compline prayers. So we're going to, Julia plays uh, keyboards and was a choir director for 24 years before she was a priest. And so she'll lead with a little uh, teze. It's like a meditative, simple music piece at the beginning. Then we do the night prayers of the Book of Common Prayer. And in the middle, there's a 
there's a hymn, then we end with another Teze piece and then a, a lullaby um, to close it out. So it's kind of a nice way to get a feeling for um, the, the night prayers vibration. Um, so any, any sleep clinic will recommend that we develop a consistent bedtime ritual. So if you're having trouble going to sleep, like that's one of the first things you do is you ask yourself, well, what are my bedtime rituals and do they really help me to wind down? Do they tell my body it's time to sleep? Um, and doing the same sequence of events before you go to bed is it helps signal to your body that it's time to wind down for sleep. So they recommend having a pretty much as consistent bedtime, nighttime ritual. So whatever your ritual is, you probably have one, you might not even be aware of it. You just have to think, well, what do I do, you know, recurringly to get ready for bed? Um, that's, your, that's your nighttime bedtime ritual. So if the idea is appealing to you, um, and I'd say only if it's appealing to you, uh, because spirituality is uh, is better when it's desire driven than than duty driven. I think just from experience, um, if you if it was appealing to you, you could include a spiritual element to your existing bedtime ritual. Um, it might be something as simple as lighting a candle and taking a minute or two to ask yourself, "What did you appreciate most today?" Um, actually, I, I learned that asking myself, what did you, using the second person, you, what did you, not did I, not what did I, but what did you appreciate most today? And then waiting for my answer, <laughs> um, that just feels better to me than what am I thankful for? Like when I say, what am I thankful for? I, I tend to go into my should mode, like what should I be thankful for? And it has more of a duty feel to me. But when I ask, what did you appreciate most today? It just, it's something that feels more natural and I like it better. So that's just a little, a little tweak I've been using lately. Um, nighttime's also a fine time to listen to Emily's Advent podcast. Um, if you're trying to out, trying out a little spiritual practice to add to your bedtime ritual. But, but whatever you do, if you do something, by all means, come up with something that is really appealing to you. Try to, look for something that you really want to do. Um, so maybe there's a lovely prayer that appeals to you and you could keep it at your bedside. This is one of my favorites. I've been using this, I don't know, like since the 2000s. It goes, keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Uh, tend the sick, Lord Christ. I have a typo in there. It says then the sick, but it should be tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, all for your love's sake. Amen. That's a, that's a lovely prayer to me. I like it. Um, or there might be a psalm or a portion of a psalm uh, that appeals to you. Uh, there's a phrase in the book of Job which is part of the liter uh, wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible that refers to God who gives songs in the night. God is the God who gives songs in the night. And remember the Psalms were originally songs set to music. Psalm 77 includes a line, I call to mind my song in the night. Like the psalmist had like a, a song in the night that was a go-to for the psalmist. Uh, Robert Alter, my favorite, 
translator of the psalm says the Hebrew refers to a heartfelt chanted prayer, uh, a song in the night, my song in the night. There are um, actually more psalms, I think, composed for nighttime than any other time. Um, and it's from these nighttime psalms that we can infer a, like a spirituality of the nighttime. I don't know about you, but like nighttime for me during COVID and all that, if, if anxiety is coming in, it's happening at nighttime, either just before I go to sleep or when I wake up in the middle of the night or I might wake up feeling anxious. So it was interesting to me to discover that there's a spirituality of the nighttime in the Psalms. So Psalm 4 is a classic nighttime psalm. And this psalm ends with, in peace all whole, let me lie down and sleep for you, Lord, alone to set me down safely. I like that translation much better than the more common one. I lie down in peace and sleep comes at once. I find that kind of tormenting when I can't go to sleep. And I use that line. I lie down and sleep and sleep peace and sleep comes at once. And it's like, yeah, that's what I want to be doing. It's great that you fell asleep at once. I'm sitting here lying awake. So I like the Robert Alter translation in peace, all whole. Let me lie down and sleep for you, Lord, alone do set me down safely. So spirituality of the nighttime has kind of a Brene Brown um, ring to it because it's about embracing our spirit, our vulnerability. Um, it's the most vulnerable thing we do every day, isn't it? When we go to sleep and we kind of like, we're not alert, we're not, you know, looking out for any dangers, whatever, we're not on guard, we're, we're sleeping. Um, Psalm 31 is another nighttime psalm, and it has this line, in your hand I commend my spirit. Jesus used this line on, on the cross, actually. I think it was his, his last word in the book of, in the Gospel of John, in your hand I commend my spirit. And spirit here is ruach in Hebrew, and it, and it means life breath. Um, it's like, well, Lord, I'm going to sleep now. Keep me breathing. Uh, Rabbi Josh Winston says that in the Jewish tradition, uh, we leave our spirit in God's hands for the night, and then he gives it back to us in the morning. And so there's a Jewish blessing for like, it's like being revived and getting our breath, um, our spirit given back to us by God, who's been holding our spirit in the safekeeping through the night. So the Psalms um, also recognize our emotional vulnerability uh, during the nighttime. Um, there's a recognition that nighttime can sometimes be a time of actual uh, intense emotion. Uh, Psalm 77, the one that says, I call to mind my song on the night, has another line that says, my eyes flow at night, it my eye flows at night, it will not stop. I love the Hebrew. It doesn't say I'm crying. It says my eye flows. It's like very concrete and physical, my eye flows at night, it will not stop. Um, sometimes the nighttime can be a time of intense emotion. Uh, Psalm 91 is a cry for protection from the terror of the night. Um, uh, Ron Howard is a, is a bookie, then not a bookie in that, that sense. He likes books. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Ron Howard is a bookie and I just don't know it, but Ron Howard, um, he, he reads a lot of great nonfiction, so I asked him for recommendations. He recommended The Human Body by Bill Bryson, 
And I started reading that. And then in that book, it says um, the part of the brain that conveys fear, um, the amygdala, it's like a little almond shaped thing in our brain is more active when we sleep. So when we go to sleep, the part of our brain that kind of transmits fear to our brain actually wakes up. So that to me, that explains a lot about sleep. So I'm wondering maybe sensory input to the brain from the outer world is muted when we sleep. So the amygdala is like more alert, more active when we sleep. So whatever danger signals do get through also get amplified. So, but it also means that our worries might be amplified when we wake up in the middle of the night because our amygdala is on kind of like hyperdrive. Um, so Psalm 121 has this nighttime spirituality all through it. I use the Robert Alter translation again. We'll be up in a chat for you there. All these will be in my notes if you if you want to access them again. Robin puts the notes up later in the day or on Monday, and you can get it at a2blue.org. So I lift up my eyes to the mountains. This is Psalm 121. From where will my help come? My help is from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He does not let your foot stumble. Your guard does not slumber. Look, he does not slumber, nor does he sleep, Israel's guard. And it's like we're going to sleep, and we remind ourselves that the Lord is not going to sleep, but the Lord is staying awake, and the Lord is on the night watch for us. The Lord is your guard. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. By day, the sun does not strike you, nor the moon by night. Now, this one, the, the moon striking us at night. I thought, this is kind of ridiculous. Okay, Bible, this is a bridge too far. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't think the moon is striking me at night. I, I always wondered about that. Um, you know, sunburn, that makes sense. But moonburn, does that mean I have to wear moonscreen now? My sister's always telling me, reminding me, use my sunscreen. Don't go out without your sunscreen. Now I got to use moonscreen. It doesn't seem that bright to me. What's the problem? What's going on with the Bible? This is ridiculous. Then I learned that in antiquity, many cultures imagined madness or disturbed irrational thinking or perceiving as caused by the moon. Um, so, you know, a lot of horror movies and all this are playing off of that off of that theme. So the term for madness was moonstruck. So we've all experienced that, how our thoughts can go haywire in the nighttime sometimes. So this is the reference to the um, uh, the Lord protecting us from the sun by day and the moon by night. And then the psalm finishes, the Lord guards you from all harm. He guards your life. The Lord guards your going and your coming now and forever. We don't need a guardian unless we're vulnerable. And so God is our guardian and we are humans and we're vulnerable. So this spiritual spirituality of nighttime revolves around human vulnerability. As uh, Bernice Brown's research shows, um, embracing our vulnerability rather than masking it or running away from it is counterintuitively, her research shows that it's a key to resilience and strength. So people who face their vulnerability don't try to mask their vulnerability, um, at least in every situation. Uh, don't try to just constantly run away from or deny their vulnerability. Those who kind of make friends with their vulnerability, that's a key to resilience and strength. 
And these songs in the night are, are just nudging us in that direction. So summing up, if it appeals to you, um, maybe for Advent, pay a little extra attention to your bedtime ritual. And again, if it appeals to you, see if your heart is drawn to adding any of these prayers or psalms or lines from the psalms um, to take with you uh, to bed and incorporate into your bedtime ritual. And that brings us to our last practice. We're going to end with a little meditation. And this one is something that uh, Cassie taught us. And um, it's part of our daily prayer lineup. It'll it'll often appear on in either on Monday or Friday. It's uh, Cassie calls it a resourcing meditation. And in this particular meditation, you visualize yourself in a physical space that is safe and desirable, appealing to you, where it's easy to imagine yourself being at peace, content, and happy. And the meditation is used actually to build resilience, and it can be a practice at bedtime um, before you go to sleep. Or if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's a kind of a go-to for your mind. So something you could include in your nighttime ritual if you wanted to. This uh, Just a few more introductory comments, and we'll do the practice. Um, this visualization practice, actually, it's like the stock and trade of the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are filled with like happy place images. Um, Psalm 23 has like five different scenes that are all part of like a happy place, safe place image. Um, so this is, this is an important part of, of uh, spirituality in general. Uh, or in the book of uh, Exodus, we find the newly liber liberated Hebrews they're out in the wilderness after being uh, delivered from Egyptian bondage. Um, <clears throat> they feel even more vulnerable in the wilderness than they did in Egypt, <clears throat> excuse me. And they wanna return. They're like telling Moses, what'd you do leading us out here? We wanna get back to the, to the flesh pots of Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey, Egypt. <laughs> um, then they adopt the resilience practice or this practice emerges among them where they're now talking about, they're reminding themselves, they're picturing a promised land flowing with milk and honey. And they embellish this picture of the promised land. Mind you, they've never been there. It's been generate, many generations before any Israelites were in the land of Canaan, um, but they're picturing it again. And it's a land filled with fig trees and Olive groves are filling out the picture of it. It's got vineyards and orchards. There, there are sheep and goats dotting the hillsides. So this is a place they access first in the imagination and then in physical reality. And it's that, that imagination of the promised land is what their visualization of it was, and their practice of visualizing it was what kept them going in the wilderness, uh, the stress of the wilderness wandering. So it's a, it's a pretty handy um, practice. Just one thing about visualization practice, it, it doesn't have to be vivid to work. It's more like the feeling that comes along when you're doing the vis visualization that's important. So usually with repetition, a visualization practice will gradually become more vivid, but don't worry if it's not like a vivid technical or high definition um, kind of quality thing. That's not, it doesn't need to be in order to be effective. So let's get comfortable wherever you're sitting. And if you're not uh, occupied with kids or if you're not driving, um, 
put your uh, feel your feet on the on the floor feel your connection to mother earth um maybe close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that you might want to place your hands in your lap take a deep breath in through the nose and then slowly exhale through the mouth and just keep up that nice slow inhale and exhale and free feel free to go to a more natural pace for you just attending to your breath for a bit and now uh, begin to imagine yourself in a place where you feel at peace it could be a physical place like the ocean or could be in a hammock between two beautiful trees uh, could be an actual place that you recall in memory or one that you imagine from scratch or could be some combination. Just begin to visualize a place that's appealing and where you feel safe and at peace. Um, if, it, uh, if it's helpful, you can picture a person or a pet you love or some other creatures there in the scene with you. As you settle on a scene to imagine, just engage your, your senses, um, fill out the details in the scene. Um, is it warm? Is it cool? Is there a breeze? What's, is the, can you feel the grass on your bare feet? Just fill in the details of your scene. And now try to take uh, note of how you're beginning to feel as you imagine yourself in this, in this place. Is there the beginning sense of peace, of calm, maybe a sense of security and safety? So just stay with that feeling in the context of that scene as you keep breathing deeply and naturally in that nice slow pace that's comfortable to you. But you're tending now to the feeling you have of peace or security. Where does that sense of peace reside in your body? How does it feel in your body? Just notice it. And as you breathe, continue to hold on to that feeling and keep your focus on the on the scene, your imagined place. Keep your focus on the breath. And we'll just uh, close with a half minute for you to be there in silence. And when you're ready, just open your eyes and we're done with our practice.